the psalm begins um, with the title. It says, a chit to the chief musician on stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. Asaph was appointed by David uh, to be in charge of the worship at the tabernacle um, and eventually, obviously, the temple. And uh, details uh, you can find about that in 1 Chronicles 25. We won't stop with that now. But these men were to, were to prophesy, uh, and in the context that is to preach, and to lead the praise. They, that included singing and praying. And uh, there's a list of men there uh, under their different leaders. Asaph was the first listed, the most important, the, the chief of the leaders. Uh, and there are 288 men listed who helped. And I, I, it's uh, highly likely that they helped in the compilation of what became our book of Psalms eventually, um, and certainly in the early stages of there. And Asaph is the first in the list. And uh, the block of Psalms, Psalm 73 to 83, were all written by him. Some are prayers, some of this block are prayers, Other are, others are addressed to the congregation. But there's something very significant, I believe, about Psalms 75 to 77. They're all prayers to God, but they are absolutely amazing, particularly when we think of the kind of praying that we pray today. Because every single one of them is involved in praising or pleading with God, but not actually asking for anything. There are no, uh, there are no petitions. There are no requests. But here is worship. Here is the pouring out of this man's heart to God. Full of thanksgiving, full of praise, but sometimes full of sorrow and grief and not quite knowing how to cope with the situation. Psalm 77 is particularly one like that. Um, and there's a, there's a touch of it here in Psalm 76. Here in this Psalm is thanksgiving for some great mercy, which has delivered Jerusalem, Salem, verse two, and all the oppressed of the earth, verse nine, at the end of verse nine, uh, and they have come to this great deliverance. So I want to just leave you with four, three brief headings this, this afternoon, this morning. First, here is Asaph's statement in the first verses, uh, from verses one to three. Asaph talks directly to himself. Verse one, in Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. God is known. God is revealed. How wonderful that God reveals himself to us, his children, absolutely remarkably and gloriously. Psalm 9, verse 16, the Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Psalm 48, verse 3, God is in her palaces. He, has no, he is known as her refuge. What a great encouragement that is to us. Here is a fresh revelation of God to his people. That's why his name is great in Israel, among his people. Verse two, in Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. Salem, the place of peace, but peace that is so much more than simply the cessation of war and strife. 
It is the peace of God that passes all understanding. One of our brethren was mentioning that the other day in the devotions, uh, I believe, and what an encouragement that is. The tabernacle, the tent, the dwelling place of God is Salem, Zion. There's true peace in the house of God among the people of God. That leads us to verse three. There, in this place, he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword of battle. God brings deliverance to his people and grants them his peace. Well, in these days when many people are filled with all kinds of anxieties and all kinds of distress, what an amazing and wonderful thing it is to know that we can have the peace of God in our hearts. Secondly, here is Asaph's prayer from verses four to nine. He talks directly to God. Having talked directly to himself, he now talks directly to God. Verse four, you are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. He praises God. He glorifies in God. Verse five, the stout hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep and none of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. The stout hearted, they thought they could defy God. They thought they could shake their fist in God's face. I had a man come to do some work uh, for me this week, uh, uh, just in the last few days. Um, and uh, we got talking. Uh, he asked me, was I, um, was I religious? Was I a minister? He said, I don't believe a word of it. It's all nonsense. Well, we had a fascinating time and I left him with a tract and uh, gave him a little booklet to give to his children. Uh, and uh, who knows? But um, he, he, was, he, he was a man, I think, who thought he could defy God. But verse six, at your rebuke, O Lord God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse were cast into a dead sleep. One word from God defeats our enemies. No wonder, verse seven, you yourself are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? God is feared. Now we fear God, but not with cringing fear, with reverence and with respect. But the ungodly one day will fear God in a very different way. Who can stand in his presence when once he is angry? Come back more to get to anger in a moment or two. Uh, well, uh, yeah, no, I mentioned it now, actually, in, in verse seven. That's right. Who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? Uh, God speaks with judgment. And when he speaks, verse eight, the earth trembles. You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth was feared and was still. When God speaks, the earth trembles. Verse nine, judgment brings relief to the oppressed. When God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth. Now that's wonderfully illustrated. Um, you don't need to turn to it just now, but later I do encourage you to read Psalm 18. It's wonderfully illustrated in Psalm 18. In verse six of Psalm 18, the psalmist cries out in distress to the Lord and the Lord heard his voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. And then in Psalm 18 from verses seven 
to 16, that we have a description of God the Lord moving heaven and earth in his anger at the way in which his servant, his child has been treated. My friends, if you're a child of God and you face opposition, God is angry at your enemies. The earth shakes, the mountains tremble, the sea rages, the Lord thunders as he comes to rescue his distressed servant. And what does the psalmist say in Psalm 18? He says, he sent from above and he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from among my enemies and from among those who hated me. That's the sense of what Asaph has got. He's got the idea. He understands that. He understands God in that sense. God who comes to rescue his people, to save them. What a wonderful thing. Here is Asaph talking directly to God and reminding God of the wonder of his grace towards his people and his anger against those who oppose his people. So we've seen Asaph's statement, he talks directly to himself. Asaph's prayer, he talks directly to God. And finally, and very briefly, Asaph's message in the last verses from verses 10 to 12, he talks now directly to the people. Verse 10, surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath, you shall, the authorized version says, you will be restrained, but uh, the New King James says, you shall gird yourself. What is the point here? Man's wrath is nothing to God, but God clothes himself with his wrath. What does that mean? It means that God is invincible. God clothes himself. God's wrath is in check. It is under control. The word in the Hebrew, which is translated by restrain or by gird, is the word that has the sense of uh, held in check, under control. We talk about girding ourselves, or at least the Bible does, doesn't it? And what was that? Well, he talked about girding up your loins. What it means, it means tighten your belt. Uh, for us for us men, make sure that your belt is tight so that your, uh, your trousers, your pants don't fall down. Tighten your belt. But it has a sense of being thrifty or being wise. God is wise in what he does. God's wrath is held under control. God's wrath is not indiscriminate. He is very focused. His wrath is upon the enemies of his people. God is wise in everything he does. That's wonderful. And so, verse 11, we can make our vows to the Lord and pay them. We can bring presents to him who ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. God, we can commit our ways to him. We can trust him because he'll never fail us. He'll never leave you if you're his child. God has the power of life and death, verse 12. What a great God we have, my friends. Come to him in prayer. Rejoice at his goodness and towards his own people. Lift up your heart in all your distress. He hears. He has the power to do you good.